And welcome to another edition of Juice Crew Radio. This is brought to you by Try Best, making healthy living easy. Well, welcome. Welcome to Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host, best-selling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting, Steve Prusak. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Juice Guru Radio. I'm your host, Steve Prusak. So great to be with you on today's show. We've got Lanny Mulerath, the author of the new book, The Mindful Vegan, A 30-Day Plan for Finding Health, Balance, Peace, and Happiness. She'll be here right after this, so get yourself a juice, some tea, a glass of water. We'll be back right after this with Lanny Mulerath. Here's another Juice Guru approved product. Hey there, Juice Guru tribe. If you're anything like us, you want to eat as much raw enzyme rich food as possible. Here at Juice Guru, we choose to use the Sedona Express Dehydrator to create delicious raw food crackers, chips, gourmet nuts, and cookies. Order your own Sedona Express at the Juice Guru tribe discount price by visiting our website at juiceguru.com. The Sedona Express makes healthy living easy. Get one today. Juice Guru Radio. Well, hello. Welcome back to Juice Guru Radio. I'm your host, Steve. And today we've got Lanny Mulerath, the author of the new release, The Mindful Vegan. She's also uh, the author of two other books, including The Plant-Based Journey and Fit Quickies, award-winning teacher, author, TV host, and top plant-based vegan lifestyle coach. She's certified in plant-based nutrition, mindfulness meditation instruction, and a certified specialist in behavioral change. Let's welcome to the show right now, Lanny Mulerath. Hello. Hello, everyone. And so nice to be here again with you, Steve. Always so much to talk about. Well, Lanny, you're just you're just not doing enough in life. I mean, look at all these things. (laughs) And yet another book uh, you have blessed us with. I'm really excited about this one. I love the other ones, but this one really is is uh, is amazing. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I'm so excited to hear that. And I was glad we were able to get you an advanced review copy so you could talk a little bit more about it during our call here. Yeah, it's highly recommended. We'll have a link under the show notes at Juice Guru Radio so you can pick up your copy of her new release. Again, it's called The Mindful Vegan, A 30-Day Plan for Finding Health, Balance, Peace, and Happiness. And we're going to hear all about that and what led to it. And actually, maybe you can lead us in a little bit of a meditation later in the show. What a treat that would be. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So let's talk about it. Um, what got you into this? Let's, let's first define mindfulness. Yeah. Well, I have an official definition that I've put together that I find has the most meaning for me. So would you like to hear that? Yes. Well, first thing, I, I really like to demystify the term mindfulness. It seems to be, it's kind of exploding in the media a little bit if you hadn't noticed which is kind of a good thing for the book, correct? But many people think the mind, word mindfulness comes up and they think that's like you're, you're full of your mind or your mind is full of things. And actually, it means you, your mind is fully present with whatever it is you were doing. That's what that means. Like, do what you're doing when you're doing it, right? But my definition is mindfulness is a specific form of mental training and a particular kind of attention that you bring to your daily activities. Now, together, this leads to reductions in reactivity and the cultivation of positive brain states. What was that last part? It got cut off. The positive? Cultivation of positive brain states. So you reduce reactivity, which we know how how much of our misery is because of our automated behaviors, whether it's uh, a, a, an angry outburst or mindless snacking and, and, you know, with our hand halfway up a 
box of crackers before we even know it. And how much of it is also the cultivation of positive brain states. We have these endogenous states, Steve, of compassion, equanimity, love, kindness, generosity. Those are all inherent within us. And they get heaped over with our busy lives and our busy mind. Yeah, I think we could really define the problem and dig deeper in because from what I've heard, we're more distracted than ever as a species. I mean, there's just between advertisements, social media, everyone's looking at their screens between their phones and the TVs at home and everything. And there's not a lot of face to face. Let's talk about the problem that we're seeing in society right now. I think you've hit something, a real sore spot that's really important to address. We're not aware how much these distractions are actually affecting our well-being and our actual levels of happiness. And in the Mindful Vegan, I do you remember the part about the research maybe you haven't got yet where it, we found out that we spend at least half of our time with our minds wandering. And this was discovered through some research at Harvard, where they actually were able to monitor over 5,000 participants from aged 18 to 80, over 80 different uh, kind of jobs. And they were monitored for what they were doing during the day and how much their minds were focused on it. So can I tell you a little bit about research because it helps to explain? Yeah, I read that part. I would yeah. love to share that with the audience. That would be great. Yeah. Okay, and it's real simple. So these 5,000 people, they now have at least a half a million hits on this to give the data. What happened is everyone who was in the research was given a phone with an app. And hmm. multiple times during the day, they would be pinged and be asked three questions that they had just to answer real quick. The first question was, what are you doing? The second question is, what are you thinking about? Like, you know, what connection does it have to what you're doing? And what is your level of happiness? And they found over and over again, the strong correlation between people were happier when they were focused on the present, what they were doing, even if they would rather be doing something else. For example, let's say you don't like doing the dishes and you have to wash the dishes. So you think, well, I'll just fantasize about that upcoming trip to Hawaii and picture myself on the beach. Your level of happiness actually decreases, decreases even though you think you're thinking about a happier place. So what's the problem with this? First, it tells you, all right, so wandering mind has been shown to decrease happiness. And here's why that happens. As you let your mind go, which most of us do, if, especially if we're not aware of it, we're either thinking about the past and rehashing that, maybe regretting something, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, or we're looking into the future like what if, maybe even catastrophizing. We're bouncing around between these two things. And this can easily become what is known as excessive rumination. Does that make sense to you? You know, rumination is when you're chewing on a thought too much and you just go in loops and it turns into, it can turn to do anxiety. But what happens is we find that if you spend too much time flashing back on the past, projecting into the future, letting your mind just go wherever it wants to take you during the course of the day, social media, as we were just talking about, this moves you into part of your brain where also resides sadness 
depression, cravings, addiction, obsession, all of these things that plague human beings and cause us misery. So the mindfulness answer to this is, well, how can we address that problem in a way that's going to give us more, some degree of mastery over our habits of thinking? That every time a thought from the past comes up, we aren't running with it. Every time a story about the future comes up, we aren't getting lost in it. And with mindfulness practice, you specifically, as I said during the definition, it's a specific form of mental training so that you can actually cultivate the ability to be more present with your activities. And this is why it leads to cultivation of positive brain states and also reduces reactivity. Something comes up in our life that we're reactive to, whether it's a person, a place, or a thing, stuck in traffic, in a line somewhere, a coworker you don't like, and we have these reactions. And you can actually learn how to navigate those more skillfully so that life improves. Yeah, I'll, give the other you, thing I'll is, give you a break here. Isn't it true that time actually will slow down when we become more mindful? We're not stuck in the, you know, everything's so fast and, you know, the, and everything's coming at us. Doesn't it give us a, a chance to reflect and, and slow down the pace of our life and, and time well, itself? It, yeah. Well, if you think about that you're not getting jerked around by everything that occurs to you, there's definitely um, a quietude and a slowdown that comes with that. Let's talk about your journey and how mindfulness has been helpful in your own life and really what led to this book, really what, what led to wanting to get this out there. Yes. Well, you know, you mentioned that my first two books, the, the Fit Quickies and the Plant-Based Journey, and this is the third in the trilogy. And you remember from my other book, Steve, even my fitness book, uh, when I got offered this book offer from Penguin Publishing to do a book about my five-minute exercises, then I, well, I wasn't going to say no, but I said yes, but it also has to include a reference to plant-based nutrition and some reference to getting a degree of mastery over your habits of thinking. Because if it doesn't include all of these, it's not really an honest appraisal of what it takes for successful life change. And then, then uh, so I focused on the fitness there. And then with the plant-based journey, we moved with a focus on the food. But as you'll notice, the key supporting players in that book, there's a whole chapter on physical activity, especially because of what it does for your brain. And there's a whole chapter on the introduction to mindfulness and getting this difference, making a difference in your habits of thinking. So now we get door number three. And I'm, this is what's so thrilling about this, because this has been, you asked me about my journey, this was linchpin for me, the mindfulness practice. You can know everything you need to know about the right things to eat and the right way to exercise, but if you can't put it together and pull it off, what, <laughs> what good is it, right? And that starts from within. That's, that's an inner dimension of being able to make these changes successfully and to implement them in a way that works sustainably. So for me, and we've talked about this before too, Steve, you know I have like a lifetime struggle with my weight, my relationship with food eating and my body. I used to weigh about 45 to 50 pounds more than I do. But for 30 years, I was off and on dieting, bouncing around with my weight. And I just looked for a long time to find something that was going to make a difference. 
diets weren't the answer. I even tried Overeaters Anonymous for a while because I thought, maybe I'm just a food addict. Maybe I'm addicted to sweets. And I answered the question, the mindful vegan, by the way. That's a big issue that I just love to speak to. But it wasn't until I took up this mindfulness practice that helped me get beneath the surface of my reaction to disquieting states. And if people don't know what a disquieting state is, it means any frame of mind or state of being that you find disquieting and unsettling. And we all have our own ways of dealing with that. Um, some people are very skilled with just navigating it straight on, but not me. I dealt with those things through food and eating. Some people deal with anxiety and disquieting states by being a workaholic or finding some other substance to be addicted to or being obsessed about an exercise program or type A personalities that work. These kinds of things are all ways that Depending on the canary in your coal mine, you're going to find a different avenue of dealing with what I call disquieting states. Does that make sense to you? Got it. So for yeah. everyone tuning in or you know, watching right now, what are some of the ways, how can this benefit our own life too? Exactly. If you have, no matter, let's look at your reactivity. I want to give you a specific example that shows how this makes a difference. Mm. Reactivity means that whenever you're in a circumstance, and let's say you encounter a person at work or a family member who always triggers a negative response for you. Does anyone here have that, ever had that experience? <laughs> you all seem to have at least one person in our life, you know, it's just you see them and you immediately have them all figured out for what they're going to say, how they're going to react to you, all the buttons they're going to push. It just brings up a bad feeling. Mm. And with, what you can do is with the mindfulness practice, you start to learn how all of these feelings that are, that were like an emotional response also have a physical correlate in our bodies. Every experience we have has some kind of a physical response, whether it's strong or small. Let me give you an example. Think back to a time, everyone, when recently when you were angry about something. Maybe it was something today, maybe yesterday, a person, a place, a thing, stuck in traffic, anything that made you feel angry, all right? Sorry to take you into a down place, but it's for instructional purposes. So can you think of something? I know Steve never gets angry, so the rest of us will just have no. to think about something. But I'll tell you, you've got this perfect equanimity. Now, how did you, here's my question. If you think back to a, a time recently when you felt anger, how do you know that you were angry? Without getting lost in the story of, well, he said this and they did this and this is why, what did it feel like in your body? For most people, anger can be connected with as like there's a tightness in the throat, maybe tension in your face or a knot in your gut, Right. The heart this starts is, beating faster. The heart starts, yeah, hands get tense. So the value of this is you can start to learn through the signals in your body what's going on with your emotional state and your mental state. This gives you new, a new point of entry for navigating these vicissitudes of life. And by being connected with understanding and, and navigating those sensations, you start to be able to open up 
more in the present because you're being present with the physical sensations and it makes you allowed to be also more present with the person that is in front of you or the thing that is in front of you because all of these feelings all these sensations change everything changes most emotions last only a few seconds and they're gone and we grab onto them and think that we have to get rid of it push it away um react to it somehow somehow manage it but they all actually eventually change and mindfulness practice gives you the ability to kind of hold steady so that you can be present with what's happening without reacting so much this means that this person that you have in your life that may you may be reactive to it brings you into a place of equanimity so that you can be more with them as a genuine person instead of your idea of them or your reactivity to them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's kind of like that bird on the branch. You know, I've heard that before, like where you can kind of look at yourself or, or zoom out on your life. What is the process <laughs> for getting there? All right. This is where the formal practice of mindfulness meditation practice comes in. Because having an understanding of this is one thing. But what you need is a baseline of experience about being with these disquieting states in a way that allows you to respond to them more skillfully instead of lashing out, um, eating something inappropriate, losing yourself in some kind of activity to kind of mask it or cover over it. So when you're sitting in mindfulness meditation practice, and as you know, I teach it in a 30-day plan, step-by-step, step, very pragmatically. I'm a teacher. You know, I taught for 30 years, and I still teach at the college. And I'm used to taking what could be a complex problem and figuring out how to break it down into step-by-steps. So what you do is you begin this formal practice by bringing yourself into the present via connection with the breath. Now, most people have an idea that there's a strong correlation between meditation practice and bringing concentration in with the breath. Am I right? Yeah. This is because the breath takes place in the present moment. You can't breathe for yesterday. You can't breathe for tomorrow. You can only be right here, right now. So you've become connected with the sensations of the breath, and this helps you bring concentration into the moment. And as you're sitting, and we, anyone, any one of us who have ever tried to sit for meditation at all, you know, your mind's just going, it seems like it gets extra active. It's going haywire. It's like your head's spinning. And you might have a moment of quiet, and then you're off thinking about something else. This is actually our usual state. It's just that when you sit quietly and bring it down, you become more aware of it. You become more connected and understanding of what is happening and going on in our brains. And you learn to be able to, kind of like this bird on the tree, to not, as your, the allegory you just did, so that you realize that all of these stories that are going on in your head, these distractions, they are going to probably persist because that's the brain's job, but you can create a space so that you do not have to run with every one of those stories, every one of those impulses, every one of those reactions. And this is how the practice reduces reactivity. Because in formal practice, you practice holding steady. Here's, here's a good example on holding steady. Steve, you do yoga, at least on occasion, yes? Yes. All right. Well, and I bet a lot of people who we're connected with right now do yoga too. And in yoga, you know how you hold the position 
and maybe you really want to move, but you just kind of hold steady with it. You know that feeling that comes right. up? This is the same thing that happens with mindfulness practice. In yoga, physical yoga, you're holding steady. You kind of are able to be present in a way that allows you to see these changing moods. I want to move. Oh, this is a nice position. And see them out until they change. Same thing happens with formal mindfulness practice. This is what transfers then to your life. You be able, become able to be more connected with your natural equanimity so that you're not caught up in reactivity and you're able to touch in, connect with your own compassion and kindness more skillfully. And this plays itself out in every area of your life. Listening to Lanny Mulrath right here on Juice Crew Radio, the author of the new release, The Mindful Vegan, a 30-day plan for finding health, balance, peace, and happiness. We'll have a link to get the book up at juicecrewradio.com, but it's available worldwide in bookstores, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all the usual culprits, right, Lanny? Yes, that's correct. Anywhere fine books are sold. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fine books, definitely. I love the book. And, um, and we're going to have Lanny lead us in a meditation. want to also find out more about how this applies to being more mindful with the food we're eating. And, uh, and I yes. also, right? Yes. So maybe we can talk a little about that, and then you can guide us through a short meditation before we close out. Absolutely. Um, so how does it apply to the food we're putting in our body to get more you know, better nutrition, more fruits and vegetables, more juices, smoothies, and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a couple of different ways. And if we reflect back to earlier in the conversation, when I was sharing my personal angst with using food kind of as a refuge to deal with unsettling, disquieting states, whether I was happy or anxious or nervous, I, I just didn't have the tools to deal with these emotions that was constructive. And this gave me uh, many years of fluctuating problems with food, eating, my body, and all of that. So when I learned to manage these these different emotional states in a different way, navigate them differently, that fell away it also so that's one way another way is one of the biggest drivers behind people eating inappropriately in other words foods that it's against all their best designs right i planned i'm going to do just for the more this morning and then i'm going to have a salad at lunch and make sure i have some sweet potatoes or potatoes or you know a good grainy sandwich something like that and lo and behold we just aren't able to stick with it and this is more than just that we don't have willpower. It's usually based on, in my experience, quite often people who are not being mindful of paying attention to their hunger and fullness signals. And this shows up in a couple of ways. We get too busy to eat well before the middle of the day, and then we crash and burn and anything looks good. Or we're persistently habitually cutting back, trying to lose a little weight, try to, you know, push, suppress our appetite in some way, hold out until the next meal. This all starts to build up a reservoir of hunger in our body. And as soon as that hooks your survival instinct, then it's all over because your body, your, your primary survival is eating and nourishing yourself, Correct. Right. So mindful eating doesn't just mean I, there's such, I, I, I don't like the idea about, oh, that means I sit down and I chew every bite 32 times and I, I know I'm, I'm playing good music and I have a nice table setting. It, it, to me, those are kind of the, uh, the possible tools on the periphery. 
but they're not really being connected with what your body needs in terms of nourishment. With the mindfulness practice, you start to become connected with your interoceptors. Now, let me define that. Intero interoceptors are those inner feelings of hunger, fullness, you're cool, you're hot, it, those sensors that we have that tell us about our body in space. And we tend to have those so covered up because we're so busy or we're busy trying to overlay our natural like hunger and fullness signals, as I just described, with a special diet or a, a prescribed food plan or portion control, something that may not be related to exactly what we're doing. And it then will connect you with your desire for more highly nutritious foods, too, which is, I know, your specialty, Steve. And we know that these foods are also, and I have this research in the book, too, people who eat more fruits and vegetables and have those goods coming more often into their body are simply happier. The research tells that you have a higher level of happiness. So that's a long answer to a quick question, but on several ways, it helps you navigate things so you're going to cut down on mind, mindless eating, mindless snacking, emotional eating. Those things fall away as you feed yourself well online, as you learn new tools for navigating states that can cause some degree of discomfort. Okay, back to you. Great. Well, we're, we're excited to close out with the meditation. Before we take some questions from those that are members of the Juice Guru Academy. Oh, yeah, and that would be great. And they're on, the, they're on the inner circle. So they're from JuiceGuruAcademy.com. And we'll, we'll, we will take some questions from them. And one thing I know is, I'm just going to just show this for those watching the video, is uh, some, of the, some of the meditations are here in the Insight Timer, right? Lani, I saw in the book that, and actually went there, and you've got some meditations right in the Insight Timer, which is a free app that has guided meditations available for both the Apple and the uh, Google Play, right? So you've, you've got some meditations in there too, right? Well, I, right now my guided relaxation is in there, but I'm going to be uploading because I'm doing the recordings now, uh, which, by the way, I don't think we brought that up. This is, there's going to be audio support for every single one of the 30 days that are in the 30-day plan. And those will be available for free on my website for anyone who's got the, it says in the book where to go and get it. No extra charge because I want people really trying these tools out. So right now there's a guided relaxation, but very soon I'll be uploading several of the ones that are a match for the Mindful Vegan book in there. Yeah, I wanted to make it convenient easy for people to access and start this practice even just a little bit. As you know, how many minutes do I expect on day one, Steve? Wasn't it 10 minutes? One. <laughs> day one is one minute, and I just teach. And we can do the day one, too, the position. Day yeah. two is two minutes because you add the anchor. And day three is three minutes. So, I, I really want people to work in slow and easy. Don't feel like you have to sit down and do something for two hours and overlay that in. So I want to show how easy it is to just slip in. It will take attention, but it is possible. So Lance going to lead us in a, in a short meditation right here before we take some questions to close out the show or the official part of the radio show. And, uh, and if you're driving, we, we urge you to pull to the side of the road for this. This is not something. So, Lenny, do you want to lead us in, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a guided meditation? 
Well, I think what I would like to do, Steve, is get something that even the drivers can use, because I know I listen to audios a lot, at least in the beginning, and then we'll maybe move into something else. But the very first thing to do is for formal practice. I want to make it clear in the Mindful Vegan, I talk about formal practice and informal practice. Formal practice is actually spending some time in a chair or a cushion doing this this practice we've talked about of coming in connection with the present moment and learning how you don't have to run with every single one of those thoughts as they come along. You actually learn that through this process. And the very first thing I teach on day one is position. What is the best position to do? Many of us have an idea that meditation is supposed to be folded legs on a special cushion on a floor, and that's because the tradition from which much of mindfulness practice is drawn is in cultures where people are sitting a lot on the floor. In our culture, we sit in chairs. So I make it very clear, you find the position that's most comfortable for you, sitting on a chair or sitting on the floor. So if you're seated on a chair, which a lot of people opt to, I'm going to pull my chair in, because as you know, I stand when I do um, and even if you're driving, the first thing is to do is feel your body in space. What does it feel like? Can you feel your seat on the chair? Those of you who are listening, sitting down, do that just right now. Can you feel your body there? Can you feel your feet on the floor? And let your hands be in a comfortable position, either folded in your lap or placed on the tops of your thighs. That's a position I like simply because it's uh, unique to formal meditation practice. I don't usually have my hands placed on the tops of my thighs. It kind of is a way of bringing my mind and body together. The very first thing then is position. You should be erect and yet at ease with some kind of dignity to the posture. That's day one. That's all we do on day one. Day two, we add anchor. So let's do that right now together. Anchor means the place at which you are going to bring your attention or concentration for the duration of this formal mindfulness practice. And we select the nose or the area right beneath the nose. Remember what I said just a few moments ago, the breath happens in the present moment. This is what we're doing with mindfulness and meditation practice is bringing ourselves into the here and now. So you've done that by feeling yourself seated on the chair or the cushion, and now you're bringing it into a little tighter space to where the breath comes in and out. So if you notice when you breathe through the nose, you can kind of feel a little bit of air coming in and leaving, and you focus on the feeling of breath, not thinking about it, not picturing it, not counting it, though intellectualizing. We want to be right here and present. And of course, as you are watching the breath, already the mind wants to wander, which is its job. So what we do, step three, is intention. The intention is to be, hold steady with this practice, with attention on breath in this dignified position for a certain period of time. On day three, when we add intention, it's three minutes. But the intention also is to be present with that, with kindness, patience, and equanimity. So that every time your mind wanders away, you want to practice non-judgment and kindness to yourself, bring your attention back. It's a very common reaction for people to go, oh, there I go again, I'll never get this right, my mind's wandering. And what you're doing is practicing blame and judgment. So what you practice grows stronger, right? So what we're doing is in this part of the practice, you're cultivating your equanimity, your kindness, and your patience. 
And then day four, I add remindfulness, which means remember, return, and repeat. That means every time you remember that you are here doing formal practice, every time you catch your mind wandering, as soon as you notice that, you've already brought yourself back to the present moment. You remind yourself to come back to the anchor point and then repeat that. That's all mindfulness practice is, doing that over and over again. And this just leads to, as I said in the definition, it leads to reductions in reactivity, which brings us so much misery in our lives, and also helps you cultivate positive brain states because you are growing your calm, your equanimity. And then the idea is to take this forward it with you into your day as much as possible. So how's that for some quick instruction? Amazing, Lanny. Yeah, okay. I, love, I love the book. And this is a great start for everyone. The, like I said, the pre-order the, the pre is available now. You can get it at LannyMulrath.com. I'm going to have links for that up at Jitsguru Radio so you can get it. I know you've got some gifts there, right? If people want to pick it up, the pre-order. Yeah, and the most exciting, as you can see, as you scroll down there, there's Admit One. I'm doing a Mindful Vegan virtual retreat. I've said several times, I want people getting started. That's why I've made day one, one minute, day two, two minutes. That's why I haven't set up for a 30-day plan. But starting, I think it's on October 19th. It's very soon after official release. So people will have their book in hand. I'm going to take four days and be with you starting days one through four. So on the first day, everyone who fills out this form, all you need is your receipt number. And I will send you the information for a webcast or a teleclass to call into. And I'll be on the phone with you for about half an hour, do some introductory uh, conversation and answer questions. And then on day four, we'll meet back in together again and do more of the same. So it's just a little way of no extra charge to you, encouraging people to actually dive in. And I, I can't underscore enough, that's why I did this 30 days. We've all seen mindfulness books like, oh, this looks great. It's very inspiring. Someday I'll do that. But I want to make it really clear with the audio support, with the virtual retreat, with a 30-day plan that this is a tool you can pick up and practice right away. And the results are dose-respondent. Even a few minutes each day can make a difference in our skill of living and our happiness. And the science backs it up and it works. Lanny Murath right here on Juice Crew Radio. Thank you for being here. We're, again, we'll have the links at our website so you can get the Mindful Vegan and, and start deepening your practice. Lanny, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Steve. And thank you, everyone, who is uh, part of the podcast. Go get I'm some juice. <laughs> I'm Steve Prusak. We'll see you next time. Unless you're in the Juice Crew Academy, in which we'll take your questions. But those listening on iHeartRadio, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at JuiceGuru.com. Until next time, get your juice on.